please pray with me. Lord Jesus, we confess that you are the one that we have waited for. We ask today that you would take us into your hands and mold us and shape us how you desire. We ask that you would inscribe the truth of your word onto our hearts and minds. And we ask this all in your name. Amen. In 1998, I spent one day in Leavenworth Federal Penitentiary. At that point, it was the largest maximum security federal facility in the country. We entered through this large gated building with these huge walls, and we went through this security checkpoint. They took our ID. They took all kinds of stuff for us and and checked us out, and, and then they led us through another very secure door, And then I thought, okay, the security is done with. But then there was another wall. And another wall after that. And there was wall after wall after wall. Telling you where you could and could not go. Telling you when you could go there. Telling you whose permission you needed to move. It was suffocating. It was a fascinating day. But at the end of the day, late afternoon, when I stepped outside that final wall, I felt like the freest person in the world. It was so liberating. All of a sudden, I felt like I had my freedom back. One of the inmates there spoke about how he would use his free time in the yard each day. There was a a walled-off yard with the highest walls of all maybe 30 feet. And this inmate said, when he would go out there, he would imagine taking his dreams in the form of a paper airplane. And he would imagine throwing these paper airplanes, trying to throw them up over the wall. And he said on a good day, he would be able to imagine those airplanes going over the wall into freedom. But on a not-so-good day, they would hit the wall and bounce off. Prisons are one of the most hopeless places on earth. And yet when we read Philippians, hope is everywhere. Paul is excited about what's happening in the present, and he's excited about what will happen in the future, even though he is not a free man. Paul was not in a maximum security prison. When he wrote this, he was most likely under house arrest in Rome. He and Timothy were renting an apartment or a house in the city, and he was bound to stay there. He had a Roman soldier guarding him 24-7, and he was chained. But even though it was not a maximum security prison, it was no walk in the park. This capped off three years of being under arrest in different Roman facilities throughout the empire. Visitors could come and go and and visit with Paul. It was not torturous, but it was not where Paul wanted to be. Today we begin a six-week sermon series on the book of Philippians. 
And as we begin today, I want us to look at three questions. First, how did Paul get here? Why was he arrested? And how did he end up in Rome? Second, what will happen to Paul and what will happen to the Philippians? And third, what might this text from Philippians 1 mean for us? Let's start at the beginning. How did Paul end up here? That story is chronicled in Acts 16 through 28. If you read it, it is a wild story. It reminds me of my favorite suspense or thriller movies. But the thing is, the story, it's so dramatic, and it happened so long ago. Sometimes when a story is so dramatic, it's like, how do you enter into that? So I thought we would start with the modern story. Many of you who were at the Lenten dinner series this past week, or past, past spring, uh, heard Jim Wilson talk. And some of you who were at Pub Club a month ago heard him talk and heard him tell the story I'm going to relay now. I asked Jim if I could share this with you. Many of you know that Jim is a member of Ascension, and he's a lawyer for the Department of Justice. And as part of that role, Jim spent almost two years in Iraq over the past couple years working with the Iraqi High Tribunal. It was the Iraqi court system that was tasked with trying Saddam Hussein's former government officials who were accused of doing improper things. And Jim was there to try and ensure that international standards of justice were upheld and applied and that these guys got a fair trial. So that's what Jim's doing. He's at the courthouse like he is almost every day, watching the court proceedings from a few rooms over by closed-circuit television. That day there is a Sunni defendant being represented by a Sunni defense lawyer before a Shia judge. And this defense lawyer kept asking question after question after question, and the judge didn't like it. So the judge orders that the lawyer be arrested and locked up, and when Jim hears that's happening, he knows that man isn't going to be arrested well, he will be arrested, but worse things than that will happen. Because at that time, Shia militias had infiltrated the Iraqi High Tribunal, and that man would be arrested, and he would be taken away, but most likely lost in transit, executed, possibly with a drill through his head in some back alley. So Jim knows this is what's transpired. When he sees this, he rushes out of the room he's in, and he makes a beeline down the hall to where these Iraqi guards are taking this lawyer away. He's able to talk with those guards, get this, gets this guy one-on-one -on -one into a conference room. And when he gets in there, he calls a group of U.S. Marshals on his cell phone, and Jim calls his boss to get authorization to take custody of this guy. And the boss is down with it. They eventually talk the Iraqis into letting Jim and these marshals have custody of this man. And they, they load him up in, in an armored caravan, take him directly to the airport, get him on a flight for Europe, the man arrives there safely and is alive because of Jim and his boss and those soldiers. And that is very similar to what happened to Paul. After Paul helped found this church in Philippi, in modern-day Greece, with his co-worker Silas, he traveled up and down the Mediterranean seaboard telling people about Jesus. And as he did that, there were... Threat after threat after threat to his life and to his freedom. There were Jewish groups 
that wanted him imprisoned and killed. There were Greek people who worshipped Greek gods that blamed him for causing a recession. They wanted him arrested and locked up. So Paul is constantly shifting his travel plans, trying to avoid these things. But he wanted to be in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. So he goes to Jerusalem and he's worshipping in the temple. He's basically praying in church. And as he does that, a group of men grab him, take him out into the street, and a mob starts beating him. Now, since this is in a, a well-known part of Jerusalem, a busy part of Jerusalem, pretty soon a group of Roman soldiers hears about it. They come, and everything stops. They take Paul into protective custody and take him to their headquarters. Just like in Iraq, there was a foreign army and a foreign land. Just like in Iraq, there was deep animosity between two denominations of religious groups. In Paul's case, two different denominations of Jewish people, those who believed in Jesus and those who did not. And just like in Iraq, there was about to be an execution without due process when all of a sudden soldiers and lawyers and politicians show up and save the day. So Paul is being held in Jerusalem. Jewish leaders go and ask the Roman officer, would you send Paul tomorrow to have an audience before us so we can discuss this matter? But the officer learns that it's all a setup. En route, those Jewish people are going to ambush Paul and kill him. So what does he do? In the middle of the night, he takes 200 foot soldiers, 200 spearmen, and 70 cavalrymen and transports Paul to the governor's fortress. So now Paul is at Governor Felix's fortress, but the governor keeps him there for two years because he's waiting for a bribe. That governor's term expires. And finally, Paul has a governor who's willing to take his case and put it back on the docket, put it back into the court system. So that's what happens. He's heard before not just the governor, but King Agrippa comes too, And in the process, Paul says, I want my case to be heard before Caesar. It's kind of like appealing to the Supreme Court, but the Supreme Court doesn't always have to hear a case. But as a Roman citizen, Paul made that appeal. It had to happen. So they say, okay. They put him on a boat, send him to Rome, and four months, one shipwreck later, Paul finally reaches Rome, and that's where we are. We now know where Paul is, and how he got there. Let's turn to our second question. What will happen to Paul? Let's not jump ahead in the story. Let's sit down right where Paul and Timothy are and right where the Philippians are. What will happen now? We don't know. If you read a book today about investing or about the stock market, there'll be all kinds of charts and graphs about what's happened historically. And if you read those, it's really easy to think investing is so simple. And people who, who bought high and sold low look so stupid. And people who you know, did all kinds of mistakes, they seem so stupid because it looks so easy from the graphs with hindsight. But if you were to invest in the stock market this week, It would be a very different story not knowing the future. Some people think you'd be crazy to invest in it. 
Other people think there's no way to go but up. Paul and the Philippians did not know what was going to happen. And when that's the case, things get complicated. Paul did not know. The Philippians did not know. But in spite of not knowing, he has hope for two very specific reasons. He has hope that God will begin the work, will complete the work he began with the Philippians, and he is confident that regardless of what happens to him, God's story will move forward. The Philippians may have received word through the grapevine from time to time that Paul was in custody. It would make sense if they were panicked. It would make sense if they were fearful. As far as we know, this could have been the first news they received directly from Paul in months or years. They have no idea how the story is going to end, but it looks like it only has a bad ending. And then he tells them this in verse 6. I am confident that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 12, I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually helped to spread the gospel. Shocking news. It would have been shocking news to Paul's enemies. It seemed like the gospel is locked up. But it turns out people can be locked up, but the gospel cannot. Things are not what they seem. Time and again in the Bible, things are not what they seem. The more God's enemies try to stifle God's work, the more it explodes. God's story keeps moving forward. This story has been repeated in China for the past couple decades. Pastors and Christians have been regularly locked up. But the more that happens, the more and more people come to believe in Jesus. Paul's enemies had gotten part of what they wanted. He was locked up, that was better than him roaming around free. But they wanted him dead. And the irony is, if they had gotten their wish, if they had been able to kill him, the gospel probably would have spread even more. Because time and again throughout church history, when someone is killed because they believe in Jesus, it leads to revival. God keeps his story moving forward. Even when everything we see with our eyes tells us otherwise. Even when we feel uncertainty in our stomachs and we're scared out of our wits thinking this is the end of the road, God keeps his story moving forward. He keeps it moving forward in spite of events we can see and in spite of events we cannot anticipate. If you are with God, you cannot lose. Paul did not deny reality. No, in the short term, we may take beatings. We may get locked up or mocked or given the cold shoulder. In fact, later on, when he's in, on death row, he writes to Timothy, and he tells Timothy this in 2 Timothy. He says, Indeed, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In the short term, we may take a beating. 
But in the long term, if you are following Jesus, you are part of his story that cannot be stopped. So let's turn to our third question. What does this mean for us? As Paul moved through the Roman legal system, every single time he appeared before authorities, Jewish or secular, every single time, he testified to what Jesus had done in his life. And he testified to them about what Jesus could do in their lives. And in this passage, God is doing the exact, Paul is doing the exact same thing. He is testifying to the Philippians and to us about what God has done in his life, is doing, and will do. And what is that testimony? God keeps his story moving forward. And here's the beautiful part. There may be times when you feel like you're boxed in, when the high walls and the art of Leavenworth prison are all you can see. And there may be days when you have enough hope to, to throw your dreams over the wall. But there may be days and weeks and years when you don't have enough hope to do that. But the beautiful part is, regardless of how much hope we do or do not have, God keeps his story moving forward. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for Paul's testimony. For all the ways that you kept your story moving forward in spite of insurmountable, what seemed insurmountable obstacles. I pray that you would take us into your hands. Form our lives the way you want. I pray that you would give us hope when we are hopeless. I pray that our love would overflow more and more with knowledge and full understanding. And we pray that as we continue this series in Philippians, that you would help us to see and understand and believe the things that Paul did. And we ask this all in your son's name. Amen.